Welcome to Make and Decorate, a podcast for makers who love to sew, quilt, and decorate. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Make and Decorate podcast with Stephanie. I'm Stephanie, and this is Season 4, Episode 74. So I have such an amazing show for you today that I am going to skip the normal chit-chat segment so that we can get right into my conversation with my guest, Jennifer Swope. And we are going to be talking about an exhibit of quilts starting on October 10th at the Fine Arts Museum, Boston. So if you live in or around the Boston area, this is a must-see exhibit. And even if you don't live in that area, you may want to take a trip out there before the exhibit ends uh, in January. On the, uh, I think it's January 17th that it ends. This episode was recorded in August, and I couldn't wait until this episode was going to publish. And here we are. It is here, and I think that you are going to fully enjoy this. But first, a couple of reminders to rate and review the show. And I did get a new review last week. Thank you so much, Mary in New Mexico, for your review uh, and for taking the time to do that. I really so appreciate it, and it does help the podcast. Also, don't forget to check out my Mighty Networks group, Make and Decorate Friends. It is completely free, and it is a private group that we can all chat. You can post photos of your projects, um, and it's not just quilting projects. It can be knitting, sewing clothing, um, bags. So come join us at Make and Decorate Friends on the Mighty Networks app or on your desktop. And of course, there's always Patreon where you can get a bonus podcast episode every month. Many of my guests record bonus content with me that you will not want to miss. Uh, a lot of behind the scenes things and extra tips and resources for whatever we are chatting about on that episode. Download the Patreon app or go to the website patreon.com slash make and decorate. There's a publication book that accompanies this exhibit at the Fine Arts Museum Boston. And I will put a link uh, to the Amazon or shop online shop of the Fine Arts Museum Boston. Jennifer and I referenced to this book throughout the podcast, and it has uh, beautiful photographs of the quilts and a few extra quilts that are not in the exhibition. I purchased the book and I absolutely love it. It is magnificent so much great information uh, and and the photography. So uh, that is what we talk about. And I just want to make sure that you know where you can find it. Also, I will put photographs of the quilts that we talk about in the podcast on my podcast page, uh, blog page. All right. So here is my conversation with Jennifer Swope. My guest today is Jennifer Swope, a David and Roberta Logie Associate Curator in the Textile and Fashion Arts Department of the Museum of Fine Arts, Boston. 
And Jennifer is here today to talk about an exhibit that starts on October 10th, 2021, called Fabric of a Nation American Quilt Stories. So welcome, Jennifer. I'm so happy to have you on my show. It's nice to be here today, Stephanie. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's just, this is a really exciting exhibit, and I wish I lived closer to Boston <laughs> to see it, but I, I'm very lucky that I get kind of like a little glimpse into it before it even starts, um, so this is very exciting. So um, talk about being a curator with the Museum of Fine Arts. Well, uh, it's it's obviously an incredible privilege, Stephanie, to work with this amazing collection of over 300 American bed covers uh, that span centuries. Uh, we were we always were having to re- redo the math on that. And we think, oh, it's actually over 300 years wow. <laughs> that it covers. So it's, it's, it's amazing to think about how these treasures have come here and, uh, and really like our privilege and responsibility in sharing them with the public. And um, the exhibit is, is really an exciting opportunity to bring these uh, out and and show them to visitors. And I hope you can come uh, in at some point <laughs> in, the, in the fall or the winter. Uh-huh. The um, it's and 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 the other side of it, of course, is that I get to work with incredible colleagues um, who have such deep knowledge in what in what they do, other curators who work across the museum. And uh, as you'll see when you come and visit, we have a top-notch design department and we have incredible interpretation professionals, programming professionals. Um, and we really couldn't have done any of this without our textile conservation department and actually another other conservation department. So it's um, it's it's kind it definitely it takes we always say it takes a village mm-hmm. um, many hands have lifted this project from the publication all the way through to the exhibition that we're looking forward to opening on October 10th wow. um, so those of you who can't come to the exhibition we do have this great publication too um, and uh, and we, we really want to share these treasures with people and we want to hear what your stories are about quilts mm-hmm. and and what what stories these inspire for you and and all the visitors who come yeah it's it's pretty amazing Amazing, and um, I'll put a link to the book because I I purchased the book, and um, it is um, just amazing the the artwork on the book cover, and um, I was just telling Jennifer earlier that you know it, sometimes these coffee table museum type books are very beautiful and have gorgeous photos, but this one has both the photos and a wealth of content and history that I absolutely love. So. Yeah, it's a really well, good book. Thank you, Stephanie. We worked with the co-authors, Pam Parmel and Lauren Whitley and I. We worked for a long time. And we, again, just as I said, we have an incredible publications department. The MFA is really fortunate yeah. to produce not just beautiful, but really thought-provoking publications yes, yes. about its collection. I agree. Yeah, definitely. Um, so right before we get into this exhibit, I just wanted to find out just you personally, if you have hobbies with textiles and art outside of your job, or is this <laughs> kind of like your all-encompassing life? <laughs> <laughs> well, that is, it is, it is. Particularly leading up to an exhibition, it becomes all-encompassing, but uh, I like to think I have other 
other other <laughs> human dimensions. Um, the uh, I love I love to knit. Although you know, I think uh, I'm working on a scarf for my mother uh, oh. for Christmas, but I think it's about a two year project. So maybe after the show opens, I'll finish that for her. But I've always enjoyed textiles, and I like I used to do a lot of batiking and tie dyeing and you know other resist oh, techniques. Cool. And um, I always say that I am going to re- learn how to quilt when I retire or get a little closer to that. So I hope uh, I hope I can uh, maybe maybe learn from you <laughs> and the other people I'm meeting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's it's funny because quilting is so much easier than you would think. Um, because I was a, I sewed clothing before I started quilting. And um, when you don't, we see these intricate designs and you're like, how could someone ever put this together? But then as you start learning, you're like, oh, (laughs) I can't, I can't do this. I actually, I talked to someone who was a weaver and her twin sister was a quilter. And what she said was that her twin sister who quilted would never want to weave and she as a weaver would never want to quilt. And the other thing she said about her twin sister is that her, her sister liked to do cabinet cabinetry and cabinet making, mm-hmm. which makes a lot of sense to me because the quilting piecing is a lot like doing joinery, essentially. Mm-hmm. You're doing joinery with textiles. So right. um, so I think I would be really interested in that part of it, like the joining up the textiles with the grain of the textiles. It's like the grain of the wood and then you're, mm-hmm. you know, the, how they, how the elements interact in that, in that joint or the seam. Right. So I'm, I feel like I'm like, you know, but there's always such a gap between thinking about doing something. <laughs> and actually doing something. It's so true. Yeah, yeah. Because I just started knitting last year in the pandemic. Um, yes. And it, I must have, so I started with a dishcloth and I must have started that over maybe 20 times just to even get, and I thought at first, I'm like, how do people do this? I'm never going to learn this. But I was determined. So I just kept starting over, starting over. And then all of a sudden, it's like, you get it. And I was yes. so excited and I started making everybody dishcloths. <laughs> Okay, so I actually have a question for you sure. about that because I have I agree that the way to become a, a, like a, a competent knitter is to just be willing to pull things out. Like it's it's actually like a lot of pulling out mm. more than it is actually knitting the thing that you see as your finished product. Mm-hmm. So is that true with quilting? Like when you're learning to quilt, do you just throw things away or do you rip out seams? Like how do you? What's your eraser in quilting? The seam ripper. <laughs> Oh, okay. Anything can be unpicked, you know, the seams. So, um, but beginning quilters are so nervous to make a mistake. And the more and more you quilt, the more you realize anything can be fixed. And nothing has to get thrown away. (laughs) Unless it's cut the wrong size, but... (laughs) yeah. True. But you can just make a smaller version of it. Somewhere. Right, right. But that's why I love it. I'm like, anything can just be, it's just whatever you're willing to accept as. That's the other thing, too, is like your level of willingness to accept error, mistakes, which makes it actually even more special because it's handmade. It's not a machine um, making perfect stitches. So quilters learn that level of, am I okay? Can I live with this? Um, then, and then otherwise you're like, no, I'm, I'm gonna take this out. So it's just kind of like that balance. And I even had a guest on my show a couple years ago and she had a dog, a lab or whatever, and she was quilting her quilt and he kept coming up and nudging her elbow. And then, and then the stitch would go like this. 
And she said, I decided to leave it in because every time I look at that, I think of my dog. <laughs> Isn't that a great reminder? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's fun. It, it's, it can be really, really fun. So I think you'll enjoy it immensely. So something for you to look forward to. Sounds good. Yes, I am looking forward to it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so Fabric of a Nation, American Quilt Stories. Um, So go ahead and tell us all about this. And um, it starts October 10th and goes through January 17th at the Museum of Fine Arts Boston. Yes, and um, the the exhibition will include uh, 50 examples of... Quilts, bed covers, and other works of art uh, made from the beginning of the 17th century all the way to the contemporary period. We'll have the work of 15 living artists in the exhibition, which is very exciting. We're... um, we're working on uh, a terrific audio guide where we'll include some statements from the artists themselves speaking about their work. So we want to bring people into the works of art. The other thing we really want to do is um, uh, upend people's expectations of a quilt show. We have um, we have some work by contemporary artists that actually aren't even made of textiles but are inspired by quilt making. So we have Sabrina Gushfonder's piece called Camouflage. She uses 16 millimeter film and actually makes like film quilts that she puts on a light box. So I know it's very exciting. And but in it, she you know she talks about it, the theme of, of 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 her work is looking at women's work and children's labor over time and and the price of or the the uh, the cost, the environmental cost and the human cost of making textiles. The um, so we're getting into some deeper stories. Um, one thing that we'd like to, the goal is to show, you know, what is really American about quilts, even though it, we all know that quilts were made by humans all over the globe for thousands of years. It's not a unique American art form in any way, but what is special about American quilts and what can it tell us about our own country's history that maybe some tough stories that we haven't really talked about often, mm-hmm. but, um, the, but what can quilts bring us into in the, in into these conversations. So the 50 quilts and other works of art are arranged generally um, chronologically like the book, Mm -hmm. but uh, we break out of the chronology occasionally, just sort of look at, look at the past. And um, one piece that we have is, uh, is the Faith Ringgold um, dream to King and the Sisterhood. And that is about her look at the civil rights movement, but also the women who contributed to the civil rights movement. And she did this piece uh, in 1988 and included um, a transcript of her daughter, Michelle Wallace's uh, speech on this subject, uh, which was very controversial at the time. And it's like, seems so long ago, like in the late eighties, but you know, when we, when people were looking at the civil rights movement, um, and, and reevaluating it essentially. Um, so, so we move through this, uh, these series of seven galleries, uh, and in it, we present, um, we start with a question of really who is America and what is America? Like what, what does this mean to be American? And how do quilts reflect that? And um, so that is like actually outside of the chronology in the sense that we want to open up that question. Mm-hmm. And and in all honesty, of course, like no 
museum collection, no documentary collection, no one group of anything can really express all of American history. So mm-hmm. we wouldn't we wouldn't presume to be able to do that, but we want to bring people into these stories that these quilts either by looking at the objects themselves or looking at really examining what the artist wanted to say through quilts can bring us into and how that reflects on the larger history that that we live with and the legacy that we live with today. And one of the things that's really changed over, as we've thought about this exhibit over the last year and a half with the pandemic is, you know, are we, is it our responsibility to bring something to the visitor that is relevant to their experience of the last year? I mean, I'm sure your audience we spent a lot of time inside quilting and doing other things and making things for others and trying to understand what's happening together and overcome our sense of isolation. Um, all of the divisiveness and, uh, and, and this racial and class and social strife is, um, it's, it's been a, it's been a lot. And, um, I think that when people come and visit the exhibition, we're not shying away from those issues. In fact, we are bringing them out and showing quilts that relate to those issues. In the last section we have titled um, Making a Difference, we're, we're showing some quilts, one by Sylvia Hernandez uh, about gun violence and uh, another by Carla Hemlock, uh, who is a Mohawk quilter about uh, the rights of indigenous people uh, to their own sovereignty and their own culture, mm-hmm. cultural expression. And, um, and so they're tough, but, but they're also beautiful works of art. And, mm-hmm. um, and in coming together to experience that art, are, are we able to come together and have, have some of those, so those conversations? Right. Yeah. I mean, I was just thinking that this exhibit is, is coming out uh, at such a good time um, to, do everything that you have said as to reflect back and and see how you know America through the past two three hundred years has has progressed and through quilts through the story and art of quilts um, and because they're they're so much more important I think to just. Um, even everyday life, everyday lives of people throughout the centuries um, that have really been sort of like dismissed as like women's work or crafts or, you know, nothing really significant. But now I I see a lot more um, just uh, acceptance and actually bringing light to, to these pieces of artwork and artists that are coming back to quilting. Um, and it, I think it's wonderful because these artists that maybe like Bisa Butler trained in painting and, um, and then she, um, turned her artwork into fabrics and into quilting and her, um, her quilts look like paintings. And she says like sometimes in her Instagram posts that there, there was no paint in this artwork. <laughs> It's fabric. So I think it's so wonderful. And um, I'm really, really excited uh, about these exhibits because there's a Bisa Butler exhibit right now on at Art Museum, um, the Art Institute. So yes, um, that's I have very to get down special. There. I have to get down there by the end of the month because then it's over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, yes, it's a very that piece of Butler's work is is truly incredible, and it was uh, absolutely no. We didn't blink an eye in choosing the signature object for both 
the cover of the publication and for the exhibition. Uh, the piece that we have um, in the MFA's collection is titled To God and Truth, and it's, it is truly monumental. Um, it shows the Morris Brown baseball team mm-hmm. uh, around 1899, and uh, she based uh, her work on a rel- relatively small photograph in the National Archives Library of Congress. And uh, it's just, it's an incredible black and white photograph that mm-hmm. uh, W.E.B. E. Du Bois used in the um, in the Paris exhibition in 1900, uh, among like, it was one of 300 photographs that he chose to show mm-hmm. um, African-American progress after emancipation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that they are, these figures in repose is so important. I mean, that they are really they are scholar athletes, and um, and uh, when she talks about this work and how she went into the photograph and tried in her quilt to reimagine and essentially like reanimate each figure and their relationship to each other. I mean, she creates essentially her own um, her own narrative mm. within it, and and then she makes them into literally as large as they were when they were living. Like she literally re re oh, wow. re lives them. So, do not miss the show at uh, at the Art Institute right, of Chicago. Right. Yes, yes. <laughs> her work is go. really really amazing, and and it to hear is. her speak about it. So we're actually we're going to have a video that features her, um, and actually working on this piece. Um, that uh, it's it's very special and. And it shows her choosing her fabrics, and um, so we have we have a lot to offer visitors uh, for the experience, uh, w- the visitor experience. When when we have a lot to offer visitors when they're able to come to the exhibition. That's really amazing, and quilters would absolutely love that video because we always love to see how other people, you know, pull their fabrics and how they think about design. And this is an artist, and I have just been since I've heard about her, um, like watching anything I can of her, like whatever you know on PBS. Um, I've I've seen her on an interview there, and. Um, uh, some other places, and um, she's just an amazing person. I just uh, she has such a, a sort of a, um, a to just in my opinion, but like a quiet wisdom that's in her artworks just shouts it. You know what I mean? It's just she's she's just really an, um, seems to be a great artist in person. She is. She is. Uh, she is. She is beautiful incredible works of art that mm-hmm. just stop you you yes. know in your in your tracks yes. and then to go on and listen to her approach how she 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 clearly you know there are a lot of artists who they love the medium and that's what they want to talk about mm-hmm. and or they like the concept and they want you to go right to the concept and i find listening to her talk about works like to god and truth she just brings both together so mm-hmm. beautifully and i and i think that will be something that visitors who have any level of experience with quilts whether it's making them or remembering relatives making them or just remembering having a nice one on their bed or you know some touching one because it's a very tactile medium. That's yes. that's another thing that we found that um, in talking to people about the exhibition, you know, usually there is some association with quilts or bed covers that uh, is positive and and that puts people at ease to some degree. And um, so we're hoping that that will sort of bring people into the work. But but I have to tell you, of course, that because we're drawing from an art museum collection and we've 
we've acquired some work more recently. Um, you know, there's nothing typical about the quilts that we're going to show because we can only show 50. (laughs) (laughs) And so the book, the publication, we were lucky that we were very fortunate that we could include 58. So it can be a little broader. And uh, it's really hard when you're, it's a, it's a wonderful problem to have. Basically we want to invite, we want to include everything and we inevitably have to deal with um, the limitations of the square footage of a gallery space. So um, it's hard to often, capture just how hard these decisions are when it comes down to like oh do we get rid of the star quilt with this and with that and and a lot of it a lot of those decisions about what to include and what to exclude are really based on the narrative of the show like mm-hmm. where are you trying to take people in the like the the your own the the thread that you're trying to suggest mm-hmm. and um so we're we're sort of starting with it in the title of the exhibition the publication is as you said fabric of a nation american mm-hmm. quilt stories so th- that title helps guide you know every choice of object every choice of word for a label every um so we you know we want to remember the fabric part, like what is, what does the textile tell us? But then also what is important about that story and how does that allow visitors to tap into the bigger story of America and how it's relevant to them? Because we want to hear visitors' stories too. Like what 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 stories do these elicit from and evoke for our own visitors? Yeah, that's really good. I love that interaction that you're doing and not just exhibiting. Yeah. <laughs> It's just not, it's not a march through like, and (laughs) then there were whole cloth quilts and then there were pieced quilts. And there's nothing wrong with that because it does, it's a chronological, obviously it's like the time context, right? And, um, and, and wonderful shows have been done about that. And I love, I love those shows too. Um, But we want to make sure that we um, bring people into a space where their expectations are exceeded or upended and um, the, uh, but there will still be plenty there for people who love 19th century pieced quilts uh, <laughs> and beautiful examples of, uh, of the artistry that, uh, that goes into these. So they'll, there will truly be something for everyone. Yeah. And I, and I think another thing unique with quilts um, are that they do tell a story and a lot of people who quilt love that part of it because and every quilt tells a story of some some form and um, and that's just one of the most beautiful things that I think we cherish um, about being a quilter or an artist Um, and I think um, like you said anyone who has had contact with receiving a quilt or family members making them designing them can can um you know, experience this um, with your exhibit. And, um, and like you said, too, like, oh, the, you know, these are the fabrics and textiles or whatever. This book, I keep referring back to, is so amazing with that, because you do that. Like, I, one thing I was really astonished about um, is learning, like, how way, way back, like, in medieval type times, where quilting was used to make um, armor, 
for like soldiers. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's a fairly simple, I mean, I, I, I should say, I say this, it somewhat sounds arrogant, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's a fairly simple technique, at least to explain and understand. So, you know, the fabric sandwich has been with humans for a long time, right? Because what does it do? It, it, it provides insulation and it gives the cloth all the more structural stability. And um, so it has lots of uses. And, you know, if it was, um, you know, if you could make a stone quilt, we'd, we'd, there'd be so many quilts, right? They'd all, they'd all, they'd all come forward in time, but right. you know, they're right. made out of textiles, which right. don't survive. Yes, yes. <laughs> Same, same degree. So mm-hmm. the uh, yes. Yeah, so it is, and it, and it is interesting if you um, you know when there were a lot of quilt shows that were um, starting in the 1970s and 80s and 90s during the sort of quilt quilt making revival, which we, we we feature in the exhibition in the last section called Making a Difference. Um, we uh, there was a real need to talk about uh, to frame quilts as uh, a, a sort of unique American decorative art you know, or a unique type of American art. And it's not surprising given that Amish quilts were among the first to be celebrated as an American art form and worthy of the American canon. And um, the, uh, but I mean, it's just, you just have to go to Europe, to a European museum, and there are plenty of quilts in their textile collections. And um, it's sort of, and we wanted to do that in the book and both, and we'll have a similar, uh, we'll have a section in the exhibition called Unseen Hands, where we look at whole cloth quilts from the 17th and 18th century. And um, and actually, it's a great thing to think about as quilters today. I mean, so much of the artistry of quilt making in contemporary quilt making is, well, it's lots of different ways, obviously, but like piecing is a big part of it, right? As we talked about like cutting up the fabric and making it all fit together. But, you know, of course, in the 18th century, in the 17th century, this fabric was incredibly valuable and expensive. It usually came from someplace else Mm -hmm. to the, to the Americas. Um, even if it was made here, it was made from very, um, very labor intensive processes. Um, so it, it was a high, it was, it was a high status object to have a full piece of cloth with like the selvages intact. So the last thing they were going to do is start cutting it up and making <laughs> geometric patterns. Right. <laughs> the artistry then is in the quality of that cloth, whether it's silk or wool or cotton. And then like the sculptural part of quilting, which is like, how do you quilt it? What is the quilting design and and so that's where I think I think our exhibit will really shine because we have these beautiful examples of these 18th century quilts and 17th century quilts and we're going to have them you know treated by the best textile conservators and hung and in with the greatest of care and lit in just right lighting in a gallery designed by our design department. So it will really be uh, an opportunity to see these literally in their best light. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, absolutely. And those are all, you know, uh, before a sewing machine. So they're, they're made by hand, whole cloth hand. quilts quilted by hand in these intricate designs <laughs> that we, we can now zip up in like a big long arm quilting machine. <laughs> Yes, wouldn't that be interesting if you could actually program a long arm quilting machine to imitate a hand quilted stitch? Yeah. Like tension and like, mm-hmm. because if you look at these stitches, they are crazy regular. Like mm-hmm. they are, they in, in that time period, they were not trying to look 
handmade right. in the, the, what we think of as handmade. They were trying to be as absolutely accurate as possible, which if you think about the materials that they're using, this was like working in silver or, you know, this was, this was, this was a very, it had very high value. So, um, so, and, and, and that actually is another point that we talked about too. It's like, how do you learn to quilt? Well, you don't start with your most, like if you were going to teach someone to quilt, right? You wouldn't bring out like your, your favorite fabric that you're saving for that special project that you're going to make, right? Right. I wouldn't bring out my Liberty Tana lawn fabric. <laughs> <laughs> but you know they might start in something that you have. Oh, well, right, right. This piece. Yeah, yeah, you know? absolutely. Uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah. n- none of the works on, on you will be like anyone's first quilt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so true. So, um, well, I I had a few that I really wanted to kind of touch on, um, if you don't mind, um, like. Uh, I want to start though with because I'm in Chicago, so the Chicago Exposition uh, quilt. Oh, wonderful! <laughs> my favorites. <laughs> I oh love my it. gosh! Yes, <laughs> um, I I have the book about uh, the Chicago Exhibition by Barbara Brickman, and um, it's amazing, like how Sears did this competition and everything. So, and I think that's what this quilt was made for. Correct. Yes, yes. So Barbara Brockman and uh, Mary Kay Waldvogel, Waldvogel are, um, yes, Barbara Brockman and Mary Kay Waldvogel are two scholars who I have the greatest respect for. Um, they have really unpacked this incredible story of the Sears Quilt Contest for the Chicago World's Fair in 1933 and uh, the Century of Progress, mm-hmm. and uh, which is just an amazing title for a World's Fair during the Depression. And um, they have, oh, their books are terrific. They have great examples of all the ephemera and um you know, when we think of the 1930s or when I think of the 1930s, I think of like old movies and photographs and everything's black and white and mm-hmm. it's the depression and it's just like there's no color. But if you look at these quilts from the Sears Quilt Contest, we'll actually have two in the exhibition. We're borrowing uh, the Spectrum Quilt, which is also in Barbara Brockman's book. Um, and then we have our own um, Richard Rowley um, quilt that he entered under his mother's name because according to his son or according to his grandson um, – um, he didn't think it was manly to quilt, right? <laughs> but I think if you look at that quilt, which I hope people will I'm come and see, right now. yeah, or get it. the and the or book, go is, see it in person. <laughs> the, the photograph in the book is amazing. It is. There's a lot of detail in that. So, so just so people yeah. understand, he was a uh, architectural draftsman, which is probably how he got those plans of the fairgrounds yeah. for the fair. And he and he used printed fabric to create the uh, to suggest the trees, the leaves on the trees, and the landscaping. Mm-hmm. And he used all of the incredible colors that um, I think it was it was a Dennis Dusky who um, the colors were chosen um, for that for the opening very deliberately. So ah, yeah. the colors of the actual buildings mm-hmm. were meant to be very celebratory and uh, and 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 essentially very optimistic. Um, and, uh, and I just love how the quilts, the colors in the quilts correspond mm-hmm. to these buildings that were sort of like, it's like a little play city almost. 
And, um, and then, you know, that he, he used the embroidery to get all the details, just the way, if you've ever seen an architectural drawing, you know, they'll do the same thing. They'll put in like the leaves are done in this sort of little sketchy way of drawing them. There's sort of these conventions of textual drawings that then he translated into this quilt, which is just, it's just marvelous. It is because it's sort of like, um, you're, you're looking down on it, but he almost did sort of like this exonometric, um, 3D sort of view of it too, where you see, you know, at least two sides of everything. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it's yeah. very dimensional. So you, you're right. You can see his architectural, you know, mm-hmm. and the way he did the waves of the water, right? So just water. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And okay. So my question is, there are no other quilts that we know that he did. Uh-huh. So when I saw that quilt, I thought, did his mother actually help him do this quilt? Because there's a lot of embroidery on mm-hmm. that piece that gives it a lot of detail and dimension. The quilting stitches are quite even. So um, I think there is, and, and Mary Kay Waldvogel is the one who found this quilt and then uncovered the story wow. of, because um, she had seen photo, his, there were documentary photographs of it in black and white, mm. and then it came up for auction. So she's the one who wow. unpacked this whole story, which is, a, which is an amazing story in and of it itself. Is. And um, so it, I just, I love that piece. I just find there's endless things too. to look at in that piece. You could just look at this for hours and hours, and I... I would venture to say that, yes, I would say that she did the actual quilting of it because someone who just made one quilt would not get those even of a spacing and stitches, like you said. And I think he really did like this um, layout and... Yeah, maybe he the dimensional maybe, I think, like everything I would, with the buildings yeah, and the trees. Yeah, I would think it's stuff. got. I think there is a collaborative. This yeah. seems collaborative to me, me to too. some degree, mm-hmm. and we'll probably never mm-hmm. know. Um, but wouldn't that be fun to come together and just mm-hmm. look at it and try to figure it out? And yeah, I think that's why yeah. it's so fun to think about having makers and yeah. artists come to this show and appreciate it from their point of view right. in that way and I, what they're how they see it through through their through their eyes. Yeah, and, and so is this is. Is this part of your um, Boston, the Boston Fine Art Museum collection? Like yes, <gasps> yes. Oh yes. wow, wow! Yes, I know because some of the quotes probably might be on loan from private. Uh, yes, well, that's Stephanie. That's a very good question. The exhibition of fifty works of art. Mm-hmm. There are five loans okay. of the 50. So not very many for an oh. exhibition. Oh. Mostly, uh, the collection draws from our collection or sorry mostly the exhibition draws from our collection Um, we are borrowing a quilt uh, made in the Poston internment camp um, of Japanese Americans it was made in Masako Hirihata's fourth grade class and um, she has since passed away it was uh, it was they were doing a unit on pioneerism and we are borrowing it from the Japanese American Historical Society in San Francisco. They're very generously loaning it to us. And it has the names of the students crosshatched into patches in between a lovely uh, red and white print. And then we have a photograph of three children in the classroom and it hung in the classroom and two children working on it. Um, so we wanted to borrow things like that, that we just didn't have in the collection, but we felt that um, we needed to uh, we needed to make sure that that part 
um, of American history yeah. was elucidated or, or illustrated by this quilt, but also the quilt itself is um, just what we were talking about. It's, it's, it's a very intimate object. It, it pulls you in with the names of the children and, and it does make, uh, it does make one think of what was it like to sit there and make this quilt in that situation of not being in the home in which you had been in not that long ago in that in that period of disruption um, and and pain um, what was it like for those children to to make that piece and um, and a lot of these these quilts have been made in very difficult situations um, either in communities um, that are uh, under 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 resourced and uh, in difficult times um uh, for example we have the rachel carrie george quilt that uh was made in g's bend in 1935 when uh in the middle of the depression which to me is uh one of the most incredible pieces uh that we have in our in our whole collection um because of she was able to combine these cornmeal sacking with um, half half panels or you know partial blocks of a log cabin made from uh, what were probably old pieces of old clothing, mm-hmm. and how she distributes this printed and solid and plaid cloth amongst what was essentially packaging. You know, it's, yeah. it's like, again hard for us to imagine that like most things came in cloth bags. You know, right. and that it's quite a statement of resilience and resourcefulness mm-hmm. to use these old flowers, these old cornmeal sacks, mm-hmm. and then she turns them into art. I mean, yeah. she just reuses that printed graphic with those solid colors in this beautiful and beautiful way that. Um, you know, we, we can't be there. She's since passed away. We can't ask her what it was like to make that quilt. She probably made a lot of quilts. They were, you know, used stacked up on beds. Um, so, uh, but, but in that moment of adversity and struggle to make such a beautiful work of art is really inspiring. Yeah, it really is. And, um, the, we can get into the Steve's Bend because it, they're just so fabulous and we're not really, um, you know, discovered until a lot of these women were really in their elderly age. And then they did this whole, um, what do you call it? Like a traveling tour. <laughs> yes. Yes. A traveling exhibition. Yeah. The, um, yes. And so the MFA was a, was one of the host venues for oh. the Quilts of G's Bend, along with uh, the, uh, the Whitney Museum in New York and uh, the... Uh, Houston started in Houston, and uh, it was organized by the Tinwood Alliance, and that uh, um, it was a groundbreaking exhibition. And much like the uh, quilt shows of the 1970s and 80s that featured Amish quilts and and other quilts from uh, the basically the middle of the country in the Midwest in the 19th century, it was it was a new take on that. What was different is that. Um, they uh, the the exhibition really featured the artists or the makers of G's Bend, the quilt makers of G's Bend, as individuals. So they were not um, taken out or separated from from the work itself. And um, the uh, so many people, if you ask, like, well, are quilts art? You know, if they're inclined to even think 
they, they would say yes, they will think of G's Bend quilts. Um, and because they were, again, presented like uh, presented as art flat on walls um, to, and, and their visual relationship to large scale abstract painting was 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 part of the message. Um, but then, you know, was also part of what do we know about this community in uh, in which is called Boinkin, Alabama? And um, and what's the story of this of this of this really in- incredible community? Um, and uh, it's very moving. And and again shows this intersection between um, between quilts and and the story of America and and it's not always an easy story and um, and we're we're very lucky to have such an early quilt by uh, Rachel Carey George and then we start with an Irene Williams uh, vote quilt uh, in the in the beginning section that was made in 1975 so that's a pretty yeah. big arc of time and they're still they're still making quilts in G's Bend so don't worry they, <laughs> you can visit. they are they're making them. <laughs> <laughs> and um, they even have an Etsy shop now. So <laughs> I took a look at that. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, it's pretty amazing. I just recently saw this documentary from like, I don't know, it was probably 20 years ago by, um, and I never knew about him, um, Arthur somebody, but he was from Georgia and he was a, a writer, journalist, an art collector, and he was just um, obsessed with this G's Ben when he discovered them. And, and, and he, you know, told their story a lot and he helped them, you know, like get well known. Um, but, uh, and he meant a lot to them. Uh, so he has since passed, like just a few years ago. But the story that he tells and what they tell and, um, it's just very endearing. And like you said, it has so many layers. And, um, I mean, they, that story started back when, um, that, um, G's Bend or Boinkin area was, um, like populated <laughs> and how they got there from North Carolina walking. So it, the history is so deep with that. It's just, um, it's just yes. fascinating to me. Yes, yes, it is a rich story, and yeah. and so many of these quilts uh, that we are so fortunate to to have in in the MFA's collection and that are in other museum collections or treasured treasured by families that mm-hmm. that remember where these quilts come from. You know, we tend to associate them with a sense of home and and place. And you know, when you start peeling back the stories, as you said, you know, you start to realize that there's a lot of like like the, the history of the country, there's in fact a lot of uh, movement and migration and and it's not even one directional migration. It's often circling back and coming home and um and these are often you know they're portable, beloved family objects too. So we might put them on the wall and look at them as art, but then it's it's something to think about of like, well, no, this was made by someone for a bed, so that someone that they love mm-hmm. would be would be able to be warm and warm. comfortable underneath mm-hmm. it. You know, right. from from cradle to grave, mm-hmm. and um, and I think that's uh, that's very resonant. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. So, um, okay. One more I wanted to kind of pull out is the Harriet Powers one. Oh, yes. And uh, so this is part of your collection as well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, Yes. The pictorial quilt. So, um, and this was back in, it says 1895 to 1898. Uh, 
So it's just, I mean, again, the the artwork of this is so amazing, yet I, I think that it really wasn't intended to be art as it was made, you know? Well, she's a, you know, Harriet Powers is such a fascinating, um, she's a fascinating artist and her biography is, is, is incredible. And we're, we're, we are, that we today know so much about her life. There's still many questions that we, we don't know the answers to. And, and there's a lot more work for scholars and historians and enthusiasts to do. The, um, uh, we we actually know a lot about her life um, because when the pictorial quilt that's in the MFA's collection and when the Bible quilt that's in the Smithsonian's collection were displayed, uh, they were celebrated at their time. Um, they weren't displayed in the art buildings of, right. <laughs> of international fairs, but they were displayed in fairs and uh, and described in newspaper articles that were syndicated throughout the country. So you know we might and, and it's also kind of to put ourselves into that time period, museums in America were very new. There weren't that many museums. So people went to see artwork, what we might call fine art, painting, sculpture. They often went to these international exhibitions or they went to smaller exhibitions. And um, quilts were among many things shown at fairs and and public displays. So if we think more broadly about sort of what was the visual culture of the late 19th century, quilts, while we might not call them fine art, or they weren't called fine art at the time, they were an important, they were an important, important part of that. And um, they really came into their own in that, in that period. And Quilters like Harriet Powers, she made a we we can assume, I think fairly confidently, that she made a lot of utilitarian quilts, right? This this pictorial quilt was not her first quilt. Um and but she made the pictorial quilt and the Bible quilt most likely for display. Like oh, she was okay. very aware that she was making this not for a bed. And if you look at the way the pattern is organized, the way the blocks are, mm-hmm. they're not in a bed orientation. They're not meant to like lie on a bed and have right. the edges fall off, right? right it's right. a very different um uh, different way. And each block is applique with either a biblical story or a story from oral history that talks about um a strange supernatural phenomenon like the landed uh, meteor shower in uh, November 1833, which was before she was born. So that demonstrates that, you know, what is part of what's part of the stories being told in her lifetime, which stories are important to her. And um, the uh, we're really excited because we're going to be able to borrow the Smithsonian's Bible quilt that was <gasps> made by Harriet Powers, and they will be on display in the exhibition, Fabric of a Nation, American Quilt Stories, for the first time ever. They were never on display together in her lifetime. So this will be truly a historic moment, and I hope hope you can visit just to see that. I hope so, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's just pretty amazing, because I hadn't really known too much about her until I started reading this book. And I think it even said like she did some. Um, I, I might be getting her confused with someone else, though. Does she she do commission quilts? We only there are only two known quilts that survive okay. uh, that were made by her. Um, we're not sure. There's like, there's 
there's not total clarity on uh, how the pictorial quilt was made, if it was already made and then was a gift okay. to uh, a person yeah. who was on the board of the College of Atlanta or um, or if it was actually commissioned uh, as a gift for him. And um, and that's how that was part of part of its ownership, his history of ownership or provenance. And um, so so there's more more to learn about Harriet Powers. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe maybe after this exhibition, the there'll be more work discovered by her certainly would be um, it would be quite something that would be exciting yeah and <laughs> it still looks pretty exciting to have these both together though <laughs> it's so it is it's historic right there yeah. um, definitely and then you know quilts are still being discovered because um, you know going back to that um, Barbara um, Brackman book too they they searched out some people that some of these quilts were never known who made them and they actually found some of yes. the, the makers or, or families of the makers. Yes, so. yes, yes. There's been a lot of work really from started in the 70s of um, uh, uh, really they were state by state of quilt education, uh, quilt quilt documentation projects. And um, it was in, the first one was in Kentucky and it was in response to, again, people coming to Kentucky and buying quilts and taking them out of the state. And so people in Kentucky said, hey, this is part (laughs) of our cultural heritage. We need Mm -hmm. to document this. Mm -hmm. And so Kentucky had the first quilt documentation project. And um, I'm told I wasn't, I've I've only read about it. And um, the, uh, it was it was it set uh, a course for other states doing their own quilt documentation projects and they're like they're just amazing i've never i've never actually been to one um a former colleague and friend was involved in the rhode island quilt documentation project and i really i would love wish wish i could have could have <laughs> gone to one because you know um uh, people love People love talking about their quilts, and they'd bring them together to one place, and they'd they documented all the quilts that people brought, and um, and they created a real record of of uh, of quilts by by place. And um, again, you know, they're just they're just endlessly fascinating. It's an endlessly fascinating art form, and uh, I hope that I hope that you can come and, and see all of these different I do too. <laughs> different Definitely. examples on view yeah. from our collection. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then just uh, one more thing about the documenting, you know, that's something that right now is heavily stressed with people who quilt is to label their quilts, label them with the maker, the date, where it was made and who quilted it. So those are the four main components of like labeling your quilt. And um, so, so that I, I, I think it's so, so important to do because of, you know, seeing these quilts throughout the centuries and you know do do some of them i mean are they signed by or somehow <laughs> labeled by the maker or is did that not really start until maybe the 70s uh, you would be surprised um some quilts uh come down with tiny little labels pinned to them with handwritten labels um mm-hmm. some quilts actually have dates or initials actually quilted in with quilting stitches. Um, some of our most important quilts, like the uh, beautiful um, double, we- double wedding ring 
that uh, is from Missouri. It was just found in an estate sale. And wow. we don't know, we're not able to reconstruct anything about it. And mm-hmm. it, it, I think it's one of the most beautiful quilts in the collection. Yeah, and really um, so, and so, and that wasn't really made all that long ago. So it's interesting that your question is really interesting because it gets at, you know, just because something is old mm-hmm. and more time has passed doesn't mean that we'll let, where we are less likely to know something about it. In fact, sometimes we are more likely to know something about it because it's been special and mm-hmm. recognized as something special for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so it really, it just varies. And um, that's kind of the fun part of my job is uh pulling together all these different dif- dif- disparate and, and distinct threads and trying to come up yeah. with something like, why is this important? And But I celebrate all quilters today who are diligently filling <laughs> out their cloth labels and yes. attaching them to the back because mm-hmm. it is amazing how quickly that is lost. Mm. You're basically one generation away from forgetting who exactly made this and yeah. for what occasion and when. It mm-hmm. seems so, I could see if I made something, I'm like, of course I made that. I can tell you exactly when I made that. But but I bet if you went back and looked at your quilts that you've mm-hmm. made and you tried to figure out, like, did I make that five years ago or four mm-hmm. years ago or three years ago, you might make mistakes yourself. Mm-hmm. Right? Like right. you'd be slightly off, right? Slightly so, off, right. Right. Absolutely. So it, it, it's like once you're done with it, you, you think like if, if you're the maker and you're done with it, <laughs> and you can't remember, like who's going to remember? That's so true. <laughs> so, so true. Yes, yes. Um, although now um, we have these um, uh, fabric design, quilt fabric designers. So some of the real popular ones like Tula Pink. We could probably tell the age of that quilt based on when her certain collection was out because I see. quilt fabrics yes. they they introduce collections and once it's gone it's gone so it's not like it stays over time so that's so it's a, like a tag you can like yeah, date it by the fabric by yes the fabric. and we and we actually do that too so we'll look at something it's it's often um well it can't be any any uh earlier than X, right. you know, so, oh, it has this fabric. We know mm-hmm. that like, oh, they didn't really do this kind of roller printed cotton mm-hmm. print until this period of time. Yeah. But, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's very, um, it's not a tight diagno- diagnosis. Right. Well, that's true because, you know, you can't really go by that because some people buy these fabrics and then they put them in their stash and then they may not use them for like five years later or 10 years later. So yeah, yeah so, you're right. Yeah. You know, we, even have we have a great beautiful quilt by Florence Pito who did just that she (laughs) she collected quilts she sold quilts she you know she gave lectures on quilts and Mm -hmm. then she also collected old textiles so Mm. old like hand spun linen and uh, printed cloth from the 18th and 19th century That was British, and then she used those to make new quilts in the 1950s. Wow! That she would use to teach people about quilting, <laughs> and so we have one of the we have a, the flower pot uh, <laughs> quilt that she made in 19 around 1952 in the exhibition, and it's the, it's that is exactly it. It's like going back into your stash and mm-hmm. pulling out something that is very special from long ago, right? Because right. this is like just the quilt that she wanted to make. Yes, so. yes. So come and see that one too, Stephanie. Yes, Don't miss yes. it. <laughs> oh my gosh, I I have to. <laughs> try you know modern art quilters how how do they get their work in museum galleries today <laughs> <laughs> 
That is a very big question. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, I think Sakwa does a great job of having traveling That's exhibitions yeah. that um, that bring people to it. The, um, the Women of Color Quilters Network that was founded in 1985 by Dr. Carolyn Matsulumi um, also, oh, yes, okay, helps. And Dr. Carolyn Matsumi also organizes a lot of exhibitions. So she was just yes. the founder of the Women of Color Quilters Network and also pulls from that group and that network to put together really interesting exhibitions. Um, of contemporary work that's that they're they're very story laden quilts. Yeah, her work is really beautiful because she's she always includes a traditional patchwork um in her border around her art quilt. It's it's so cool. I just saw I just saw a documentary with her and Bisa Butler together, so I was fascinated. That's that's really cool. Yeah, you know what? You're you're right. These kind of um uh groups um are are probably the ways to to start if you want to be an art quilter. Um, yeah. to get your work noticed. In addition yeah. to like, I know there's, um, you know, um, annual quilt shows that have juried quilts and stuff like that. So I think that's probably another way. But I just, I was always, always curious about how do museums really, you know, pull these modern quilts into their, I mean, I, it's easy to understand how you would pull in antiquities and stuff like that. But like, modern people like working today <laughs> with their their art um, it is it's it's very challenging and we did acquire um a number of contemporary pieces for this exhibition that again their work fit into the story that we were trying to suggest and okay. explore it is very difficult to think about uh contemporary work and what's going to be important in 10, 15, yeah. 50, 100, 200 years. And right. um, so there's no easy, there's no, there's no single answer. I mean, I to guess that. it's the same across the board of art, period, sculptural, painting, um, you know, and like there's that photography. Yeah. Think how many photographers there are. Yeah. Like, how does one decide so true. Yeah. that this is the next, um, you know, mm-hmm. this is this is the next. Uh, Ansel Adams. <laughs> yes, I was, gonna say, I was trying to think of a woman photographer. This is terrible. Oh. I was trying to think of a woman photographer. Uh, Doris Ullman. Who is who's the next Doris Ullman? Like, who's the uh-huh. next Dorothea Lang? Like, wh- yeah. where where are you going to find that person? Right. And um, and how does one do that? And I think you know there is no there's no simple answer to that. Yeah. Um, and except I do believe that really art. It's not only art is everywhere. Art is being made right now as we're t- speaking. You know, it's 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 part of the human condition, mm-hmm. and it's um, so. I I think that it's. Uh, I think like all all people working in in the cultural broader cultural fields, whether we're makers or uh, curators or conservators or enthusiasts or collectors, you know, I think we're all trying to keep our eyes open to, to new things and, uh, and to connecting, connecting people with each other through art. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay. And one last really quick thing. Sorry. (laughs) On conservation, I know that you have like an amazing uh, conservation lab. Um, Just any tips on conserving <laughs> quilts for quilt collectors, maybe? Just something quick. 
Uh, like well, like wear wear white gloves when you handle it, or I know keep it out of the sun. I know that's one of the things. Yeah, so that's actually it's great that you say that, Stephanie. Like so, like obviously, once the textile. This is very like I am not a textile conservator. People okay. go study this. Uh, I'm sure this a, a a a field of great expertise, and yeah. I have incredible respect um, for for the expertise of my colleagues in both textile conservation and all of conservation. Um, the uh, you know. But I can say, mm-hmm. as a non-conservator, that <laughs> once the textile fades, you can't go back. You cannot uh, turn back the clock to to make to put color back. There's no into restoration of the color. Okay, there's no restoration of the color. <laughs> um, and uh, so light, light is really the enemy. And um, Beyond that, you know, you just want to keep things in a relatively um, stable environment. Um, so, actually, I don't know the the quilt quilt collector Gerald Roy of Pilgrim Roy. Uh, he always points out that quilts are sort of like human beings. You know, they don't like it to be too humid. They don't like it to be too dry. They don't like it to be too hot, too cold, and avoid fluctuations. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you want to live in your attic or basement? Like, probably not. not. <laughs> right. Temper- temperature controlled. Right. Right. And out of the sun. Yeah, we don't want to be in the sun for too long. We don't want to get fried. Yeah. <laughs> we don't that's, be underwater. <laughs> that's pretty common sense right there. So... Very good. Very, very good. Well, thank you so much for um, coming on to my show. This is just a, a complete honor for me. So I appreciated that Amelia uh, contacted me about this exhibit. And it was just a pleasure talking with you and learning all about the, the exhibit and these quilts, these wonderful quilts. Well, thank you, Stephanie. I really enjoyed the conversation as well, and I hope that we'll have a chance to meet in person while the show's up or, or any time that you come to Boston. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much. And I will include um, all of the information of the exhibition on um, the show notes and my podcast blog page. Great. Okay. Great. And, yeah, and, and the publication, too, if people want to get yes, the publication. the publication is amazing. So I'll put that A good on there gift too. for Christmas, right? Yes. A good gift for the holidays. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> for sure. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Have a great <laughs> afternoon. Bye, Stephanie. Bye. If you would like a bonus episode every month, Become a patron and support the Make and Decorate podcast show at my Patreon page, Make and Decorate. For extended show notes with links and photos to what we've talked about, visit my podcast blog at makeanddecorate.com. And remember to take some time for yourself to be creative. Bye-bye.